Hi, welcome to A Couple of Thought Podcast. We are your hosts, Chaya and... Ali Melech. Avers. Oh, God. Are we Avers or Evers? Or Avers. Depends where we live. Together, we will be discussing our passions for food, politics... Judaism and marriage. Yeah, exciting. So, join us for our podcast and you will be blown away by our... Couple of Thoughts. Hey everyone, we're back. We are better than ever. It's been a long time since before the summer. Yeah, a lot of that has happened again. Again, and we're really excited to be here today. Um, we are after the Chagim, and we had High holidays. Yeah, and we are so thankful that we are past that part of the year. Mm-hmm. And we had our son Mendel's bar mitzvah. Yep, we did it. It was really special. Um, it was like uh, Tishrei on steroids. Yeah, really, <laughs> really. So, so many family and um, our friends and community who are like family celebrating together with us. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful party and Shabbos. Yeah, so besides the bar mitzvah, it was already hectic because this year you had like Rosh Hashanah. I think it was like Monday, Tuesday, Shabbos, bar mitzvah. Yom no, Kippur, no, no. Sunday, Shabbos, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Wednesday. bar mitzvah. Yeah. Then Shabbos, Yom Kippur, Shabbos, Sukkot, Shabbos, Sukkot. So it was uh, really... Uh, Intense, wow. yeah. We're a bit exhausted, but... Um, We're getting back to ourselves. Yeah, we are. But our, I think I feel for... My heart is full. Yeah, uh, what is it called? Our confidence box is filled. Our boxes are filled. <laughs> our, our batteries are filled, like charged on family and, and friends and community. Yeah. Um, some some highlights from Mendel's bar mitzvah. Well, for starters, Melch gave a most beautiful speech at Mendel's bar thanks, mitzvah. Thanks, You too, you too. No, but yours <laughs> was like so, so special and you cried mm-hmm. a lot throughout the whole speech. You just couldn't hold it together. Yeah. I think I'm gonna after I'm gonna clip in a little part from the bar mitzvah speech. I'm gonna clip it in after when we edit, because I think it was so nice. Or maybe can make footnotes that people can. It's on YouTube, no? Yeah, but I'm not sure. I want to share that whole video, but um, because it was a a private party. But I thought it was really beautiful what you said to Mendel, and I want to share it with everybody. Many fathers get emotional when they hold their first son. At that point, I was not so emotional. I had already held many babies, my brother Levi, Yuda, my nephew Isronar, maybe even Toby, I'm not sure. And I looked at the great responsibility it would be to raise a Jewish boy in this world. Fast forward 13 years, and here we are. Now I am emotional. This Rosh Hashanah, you came to peek under my talus and you saw me cry. You asked me, what's wrong, Tati? Who are you davening for? Now I can tell you, those were not tears of sadness, but tears of joy and gratitude to Akash Baruch Hu. I davened for you, our family, I thanked Hashem from the depth of my being for all the good that he has given us every day, that he gives us every day. In the past 13 years, Mommy and me have given all we have and more. 
and we are so, so proud of you. On Rosh Hashanah, after your first Aliyah, I said, Baruch Shepatran, you're an adult now according to Allah, but know this, we will never let go of you, my Mendo. Me and Mami will be your rock and your biggest fan for the rest of your life. You'll always have a listening ear, but please don't overdo it. You'll always have a shoulder to cry on. Yes, adults do cry sometimes. And I will be your partner in crime for having fun together. I would like to say a special thank you to your mommy. So we're going to do a little bit of a different podcast today, no? Yes. And usually what we do. Um, usually we like to talk about like politics and food and family and education and all different topics. And today we are mainly focusing on the topic of... Da, 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 da. Idea. <laughs> family. family. We're going to talk about family and all okay. all parts of family, and you know, also getting together with family. You know, it's a beautiful thing, and also sometimes invokes all kinds of re- uh, memories and emotions and talk feelings. For <laughs> and and just you know, we've, it's something. Also, we have officially now in our house a teenager, and the years are coming where we're going to have a house full of teenagers, and we're thinking a lot about it. The struggles that come with it. Yeah, and what's going to be and how we're going to be as parents if we're going to get a check plus plus or, I don't know, we're going to fail miserably and our kids are going to hate us forever. Who knows? We all hope for the best, of course, yeah. but, you We know. all try our best. I yeah, think that's and, what our parents did as well. Yeah, and, and I think that's, like, that's the theme throughout is that I always like to say that most parents do the best they have with the tools they have. I don't think anybody on purpose says, you know what, this time we're going to screw up our children. That's not going to happen. No, but sometimes it just happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying, yeah. Like, isn't that what you were listening to today? That clip of that guy? That he also said that every child, old children, even in one family, you have them coming out differently. What was right, he saying? Right, so he's a childhood physician. His name is Jabor Mate. Um, Jabor Mate, I think that's his name. He's like an author. He, he's Hungarian-Canadian author, physician. Jewish. He's Jewish, yeah. And he, I, I've been seeing some of his clips, and I think today we just ordered like a whole bunch of his books because he seems so smart and yeah, so Yeah, and wise. I listened to a podcast of, of his. He was uh, a guest by Joe Rogan. Oh, okay. So I listened to a very interesting podcast with him also. Yeah, so he's really, really smart guy. And um, he there was a clip that my sister actually sent me about him talking about how how could it be that in one family, um, every child turns out differently? One is a narcissist and one is like um, a really kind, good person. Like, how could that be? They both had the same mother, the same father, the same household. So he says, yes, but they didn't have the same childhood. And same experiences. And same experiences. He says, you know, one person is the oldest, so they experienced being raised by their parent as the oldest. Another is in the middle. They experienced a different relation. And also different children trigger different points in their parents. So every child's experience with their parents is different than the next. That's why we have different children turning out different ways. Yeah. I, I like to use also the example of a fruit tree that you can have even if you have on your plate a bunch of grapes. Mm-hmm. Like you can have even in one bunch different flavors of grapes. And on the same tree, on the same bunch, and it's both grapes, this and that, but they still taste different. Some are very sour. Some will be very sweet or crispy, 
but you can have that in one bunch or one that's like very mushy and and, and rotten. Yeah, <laughs> rotten child. <laughs> yeah, so you understand that it's, it's uh, within one family you can have a totally different outcome of children, and you can have also children having a different experiencing a, the same situation. Like different. if you have, um, exp- let's say you all go together. If let's say you go on a trip then not everybody will experience the same trip. Some people enjoy it, some people didn't. Or if, let's say, there was a fight, some people felt like, oh, wow, that was very hostile. And other people were like, oh, big deal, so people were fighting, not a big deal, you know what I'm saying? What happened recently with Rivka, something on the dumb? Yeah, we were. I, I took the kids to the, to the yeah. city to go shopping, and there was a um, performer in the damn square, and he was juggling with fire and I kept the kids a bit further away because he seemed kind of shady and there's like no for hunting so I'm like if fire falls on us like there's no insurance or anything Whatever, from the yeah. guy um, American yeah no it was a bit it was, he, Can't was a bit, nobody. he seemed a bit shady I don't know anyways the kids really wanted to watch it and then at the end of the show when he was about to collect the money from everybody that's like the most important part um, a drunk man came like and knocked over his whole table and like distracted, I guess, everyone in the crowd who would be giving him his money. And he took the man and he just whacked him and threw him on the ground. And there was like, you could hear like a crack, like the guy definitely broke bones or his skull or something. And like all of a sudden the whole crowd started dispersing and it was just like, I just grabbed the kids and kept going. And the boys were like, oh, that was so cool. Like, can we go back? We want to see what's going on. I'm like, no, I'm not interested in doing a street fight. So we went into TK Maxx. And, and Rivka was No, like, no. So we just, I was just walking. And we went into TK Maxx. Also, we come up to the third floor on the escalator. And I look at her face. And I'm like, oh, my God. Are you okay? And she, like, burst out crying. And I realized she was really shooken up. I was, like, so busy just trying to get away from the scene. And it's the same thing. Okay, yeah. she's also a bit younger. But yeah, still. Yeah, and she's like, a girl. Oh, yeah, she, she's more sensitive or whatever. Yeah. The while well, the boys looked at it, but I think they were also a bit shaken up. Yeah, but it's just funny. Like this, they were, you were all in the same situation, but everybody reacted. And could be Adina didn't. Adina even didn't really, even like. She yeah. just was like they threw the man on the floor. She thought it was like quite funny. Like, yeah, so you know, I'm so saying so you had the same situation thing. and four different people. I was just concerned. I think the, the I heard like a skull crack. Like I heard like a crunch. You know, I was like, oh my god, let's get out of here. Or maybe the tile on the floor cracked. Yeah, I, I don't know. The guy was so drunk. He was like an old homeless man. But um, yeah, so she was just like really shooken up and she was like afraid and worried and she felt bad and, you know, which was also, it was really sweet. So we just took a minute and like we hugged and I was like, do you want to call Papa? And she was like, no, I'm fine. Just, you know, she was shooken up. So No, but that's just the funny thing is that you have the same situation. That's the same in the education. You have the same household, the same parents, same school, you know, so maybe similar friends. But I'm saying... It's, it really could turn out totally different and experience totally yeah. different. I mean, I had a great high school experience and I have friends who went to that same high school and they had the most horrible high school experience. They feel like they wasted four years and the school was so terrible. They have all kinds of complaints and I'm like, well, I had the time of my life. I loved high school. So I mean, yeah. parts of it. So yeah. it's really true. Everyone has their own experience. That's why now in today's day and age, we have a lived experience. Like if someone says... Well, he insulted me. Like it's my lived experience. Like you have to respect that. Well, that's a bit sense. Like the other, the flip side of trusting everybody's lived experience. Their experience, so then that's it. That yeah. there's nothing to discuss. Like, um, well, but, but I think that's a very small part of the society that's really giving into that, and just because that's yeah, some people really suffered. 
Yeah, okay, but I'm saying that's okay. Like, that happens. But I'm saying, like, the fact that they are now, because that's my lived experience, so now everybody needs to trust me that whatever I say is now true. No, okay, you have your yeah. experience. It was not fun. Sorry. You know, move on. Go to therapy. Yeah. Ooh, move on. Go to therapy. That sounds a bit Or the other way around. Callous. First go to therapy and then get over it. <laughs> okay, so, um, well... I was, um, you know, I follow Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz on social media and I watch many of his videos and I've listened to his lectures for many years. I've been following him since the good old days in the Jewish press when he used to come every Wednesday. My mother used to come home with the Jewish press and we'd open up to the middle section, which was like the family section. It was like always articles from Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz. And he used was, to do question and answers also, no? Yeah, like, I don't know, different articles, but he was a real, like... Um, he was a real um, activist back in the day because he was a he was a religious man. I think he lives in Muncie or Bar Park or one of those places. He was principal of a yeshiva day school, and he was the first one to start like talking about like abuse in the Jewish community and or or things that were not okay. And um, he talks a lot about you know teenagers and how parents should deal with them. And it's something that like I'm like I want to be prepared. I want to listen. I want to I want to learn. I want to be I want to be the best that I could be. So I'm going to ask you a question, Mel. And when I say this, what comes to mind? The word religious abuse. What do you think of? Um, that religion is being used to get people's um, way. Meaning to say, if let's, um, let's say someone is very rigid and wants you to listen at the first time and like, don't argue with me because that's just what I said. Because I said so. Yeah, because I said so. But then... You're like, yeah, but one second, didn't we say this? And yeah, but but religion says other, different. Like, then the argument is finished. You know what I'm saying? It's like, can you give an example? Yeah, like I can give you an example that's not really religious abuse, but I'm saying the same way it works. It's like, let's say you have argument about Israel. You're like, should they give land back to the Palestinians? Should they not? Should it be two states? Should there not be like the politics in Israel, basically? And then the argument comes. Yeah, but the Rebbe said not. All right, there you go. Argument is done. Over. Like that, you can't have a discussion anymore because if that's like the last argument, then if you we're having a rational argument, then we can bring in all all different points topics and different points of view. But if you are saying yeah, but the rabbi said no, like okay, fine, there you go. Then right. that's the final answer. And that's the same thing with religion. If if you say, hey, listen, I'm not in the mood of, I don't know, let's say wearing tzitzis, and you say, yeah. I was yes. just going to use a tzitzis example. Like in Chabad, it's customary that you wear wool tzitzis, and it's, you know, maybe a little bit different, and also that we wear tzitzis by night. So you can have the argument, yeah, you have to wear it, and uh, but could sometimes be uncomfortable to wear right. tzitzis by like night. Right, one of our kids was struggling with this. Yeah. And um and actually, force him? No. no, and I just, I, I bought tzitzis for him. I said, hey, listen, I'm putting them in your closet. If you ever, when you're ready to wear them, you can wear them. And also by night, I kept reminding him to, to do it, but I never said you have to. I said, listen, whenever you're ready, you'll do. And now, actually, I, I see him every night. He wears the tzitzis, and he's wearing the wool tzitzis because that's what was there, and he felt that it's the right thing to do, and he did it. But I, I feel that if I would have forced him to do it at that point, he would have maybe also done it, but then it wouldn't be his choice, number one, and which is always better if someone chooses itself to do it because then it's his mitzvah. Number one. And number two is that I think it means much more when he actually decides it for himself than when I force it upon him. Right. And also both of those ways, whether you force him or you don't force him, none of it is a guarantee that he'll wear it when he's an adult. 
And I think that's a very... I think it's a higher chance if it comes from himself. For sure, for sure. But, you know, I think that a big thing that many parents struggle with is that they're like, yeah, when he was younger, he was so excited to do blah, blah, blah. And now he threw it all away and so terrible. It's like, okay, he has a mind of his own. He's an adult now. And he gets to choose his Judaism. And it's not our place anymore. We parents, it says... We have to mechanic our kids. We have to educate and raise them. But at a certain point, we always could be a good influence and lead by example for our kids. But at a certain point, we Which just I think don't is have the best a say way. anymore. Which I think is yeah. the best way to lead and by I, example. I want to divide this up into two things because I was thinking about it. And, you know, there's two ways that kids go. There's rebellion, like which usually is connected to pain. Like a teenager or an, kid. Uh, or a, yeah, a kid in pain who um, rebels and does things really just to get his parents angry. And because they're so angry, they want to make everybody angry at them. And it's just this vicious cycle. That's like real re- rebelliousness. Negative attention. Yeah. And then the other flip side is like more thought out, meaning like your child comes over to you and says, listen, like, um, I really don't connect to, I don't know, give me an example, to wearing woolen sits. We'll just yeah. keep it with the tzitzis, keep it simple. And I really want to wear um, undershirt tzitzis. Those kind of tzitzis feel comfortable for me. And it, it like the, the wool tzitzis are itchy for me. They make me hot in the it's summer. It's just not my thing. And I feel like they make me not want to wear tzitzis and I want to switch to wearing undershirt tzitzis. What do you think? I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's something that could happen in, in some families that are stricter about these things or whatever. So that's a thought out teenage child who's coming to you. So... The way you react is like is everything. It's everything. Because if you'll be like, no, what kind of business is this? It says um, in the in, in Shema that it has to be woolen and you have to wear woolen. What kind of thing is this? Da, 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 da. I don't care about Judaism. Yeah. So you just took your thought out child. And where did you put him into the section of rebellious child? Because now if he goes and buys himself undershirt sitsis, he's, he's doing it as a, out of rebellion. I think that's a big thing with Sneas also. Where yeah, you modesty have, rules. Yeah, modesty yeah. rules where you have people, like, let's say, you always say, like, if, let's say, tomorrow it's a, it's a thing that you're not allowed to wear. A red dot on your uh, nose. Yeah, on your nose. And then the girls, like, when when the, the, the sneeze lady is not around, they'll wear a red dot on their nose because no, that's they, cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you tell teenagers, like, yeah, this this style of wearing a red dot on your nose, it's terrible. So cool. it's so It's so, it's so against... Everything that the Torah stands for, tomorrow you'll have 10 girls wearing a red dot on their nose because that's just the nature. Like, you want to put teenagers are trying to find their own individuality, so they're going to push back. Yeah. So, when your child comes to you with thought out, deep thought of how they're feeling about something in their Judaism, listen to them and, and, and say, like, listen, if, if you're struggling with that, then, then wear those tzitzis and well, I, I think want, it's a very always good, switch back. Yeah, well, I think it's a very good thing, at least that the way it worked by me. I don't know, maybe by women when it's a little bit more from the heart and by men it's maybe a little bit more um, rational. rational, is that I, I remember when I was 21 and I was learning for my smicha that I went over to the rabbi and asked him if I can wear a kippah that's not made out of two parts. Like a, like lot a of double times, layer. Yeah, but a lot of times kippahs are made out of like, you have the top part that's like, let's say velvet, and then you have the bottom part that's like the lining. So there were people in yeshiva said, yeah, that's supposed to be like that because it's already two coverings and blah, 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 the whole story. So I asked the rabbis, like, what is the story with that? Is that, is that correct? So he's like, no, it's nothing to do. It's one covering and one covering is enough. So then I 
you saw when we were dating, I was wearing a kippah that was cut out of a hat. Because okay. then, okay, it doesn't matter. It's just the idea. It's just a, a velvet kippah. A velvet yeah. kippah. And I made it kippah. myself. So that was allowed. But then I also asked him, what about tzitzis? Can I wear cotton tzitzis? Especially when I'm doing sports. He goes, better not because whatever. And he explained to me and showed me why cotton tzitzis is an issue, whatever. Maybe that's a Chabad thing. I'm not 100% sure. No, but woolen tzitzis is like a more... Whatever. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm sure there's other people, other opinions. I don't know. I'm just giving that as an example. So then I said, okay, fine. So that's where I draw a line. I say, okay, I'll wear my... Woolen titties and my velvet yarmulke, and that's that's where for me it, it worked very much. Like it wasn't a rebellious thing. It was I wanted to know, and then right. it could be at that point I would, could have also said, you know what I'm gonna wear cotton titties when I'm doing sports, and then at least for the rest of the day I will wear woolen titties. But that way, for me, very much so. If a child would come over to me and say, hey, listen, I really not into wearing woolen titties. I would want to wear cotton titties, and I would show him and say, listen, I understand, no problem. But maybe first let's learn about it. And that could be with anything. Let's say I don't want to light Hanukkah candles. He goes, let's learn the Hanukkah, see where it's coming from, what's yeah. the background. And if he then still says, yeah, listen, I'm not connecting to it, that's fine with me. That's okay. You got both sides. Because I yeah. think in general, as parents, what we're doing is we're showing, that's why we're trying to teach them um, religion. And we send them to an Orthodox school because that way they get the real full experience of a from life. And then if at some point when they're 18 or a little bit older, they're like, you know what? I saw the full life and I saw the full religious life, but it's just not for me. Then it's not, this child is is not a child anymore, but an adult has his own life. And can then at that point decide, okay, listen, I got the full experience on that side. Yeah. I want to see another side. Maybe there's stuff over there that is more my thing. It could be he will look at the other side and see, okay, that's also not my thing. And he'll find somewhere in between. Right. To find his own way. And I think what's most important is that we have to realize that our children are, they're made in the image of God. They're a they're a piece of godliness. So who are we to ever be ashamed, angry, or upset with the, the choices that they make if it doesn't align with our values? Like, you know, actually I wanted to... Because those are the vials that worked for us. Yeah, mean exactly. Work for them. But we also had to choose our way. So, you know, um, I want to, you know, today I actually wanted to dedicate today's... Um, podcast to my cousin Sinai Ben Chaim who passed away a few weeks ago. Allah shalom. Yeah, who passed away a few weeks ago um, at the age of 23 years old on um, on Cholamite Sukkot. Um, he was found in a forest in Israel and he was not alive. He was dehydrated and we don't really know what happened to him or why he passed but um, you know Sinai was not he came from a Hasidic Belzer family and he was not any more religious as you know you would call or Hasidic or, or Orthodox or whatever you would want to label him um, anymore. But he was still very connected to his family. And you know, there's something that I remember that my aunt told me and you know, she had a very special relationship with, with her son and she told me, you know, living in Hasidic um, community of Bells, you know, walking down the street with your son who's visibly not religious can can cast a lot of judgment. It's not something that people are comfortable with, even though it's happening more and more. And she always said, I'm not ashamed of my son. He's a Tzalem Elohim. He's a piece of God. Why should I be ashamed of that? I, I love my son, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm not going to be ashamed to walk with him down the street. And I think that, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't have so many people, you know, choosing a different lifestyle. Everyone was just going according to the way. And, and now we see teenagers having much more of a opinion and a mind of their own. And I think that's also amazing. 
because whoever is is choosing Judaism and keeping Judaism really wants it. Yeah, exactly. And it's their choice. It's their choice. Maybe not all of them, but it's maybe more of a choice because you, the challenge is larger. So then, whatever the people that decide that they are going to stay, yeah, on 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 the the path, it's it's more impressive. The challenge yeah. now is bigger than I think the last generation. Yeah. So like I also want to ask you Melach and then you could ask me back how were your teenage years and how was your relationship with your parents in your teenage years? Obviously we're keeping this respectful. Yes. Um, no, I I have, I have nothing to complain about my parents. I was uh, You were in yeshiva. <laughs> I was yeah, I was 15. I went to yeshiva and whenever I came home I was pretty okay with my parents like we had like little arguments like get up at 9 and not at 9:30 whatever and Maybe a yarmulke wear this one and not that one. Like, but really minor things, and I never had like a major fallout at at older age. But I think a big part of that is because we were allowed to express ourselves, and things were able to be talked about. Like, I remember my oldest brother. I think he had uh, more of a challenge because the kippahs that he was wearing was not what my father. So by the time I came around was already more like uh, in Dutch we say the castanias were already taken out of the fire you know what I'm saying they like, fought your battles yeah they already you. fought the battles so I don't think by the time I came there was not really many battles I remember my dad one time saying that maybe uh, like the shirts that I was wearing are not the, the right one but he never said I'm not allowed to wear it just said maybe something you can think about and I think that was very thoughtful but my dad is in education so maybe that made it also easier for him but it could also make it harder. But I have really no complaints about my parents and my teenage years um, when I was growing up. I was mostly in Shiva and the times that I was at home, I was totally fine. Like, I felt I had the space that I needed and I had my own space in the house. So I was, I was pretty good. You built your own space yeah, in the house. that is correct. <laughs> okay. And what about you? Mm. How's your teenage years? And keep it respectful. I will keep it <laughs> respectful. I love my parents. Um, but disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. No, well, actually, my parents raised two kind of like two different families. The first um, five kids all were exactly like going in the same direction. And um, they didn't really have trouble. Everyone was just, you know, going in that that pathway. And then we were the three youngest, me, my twin sister and the sister on top of me. And we were growing up in a trouble, little bit. Trouble. <laughs> no, we were growing up in a little bit of a different generation. We were growing up in the generation after the Lubavitch Rebbe passed away, which was a very different time um, compared to my other siblings who were raised in, you know, the court of the Rebbe and everything that was happening and all the excitement. And um, I think they were a little bit shocked. They didn't expect that they needed to like raise their three younger children because the others, you know. Went had with their, the flow. Yeah, went with the flow. It wasn't like such a such a challenge. Um, so I definitely think they struggled more than we struggled um, to understand us um, and the time that we were living in. Um, it was hard, I have to say, those things because, you know, we were teenagers, we were thinking things, and, you know, some of my siblings were having a hard time with um, religious observance and, you know, keeping the standard that my parents were really, really used to. And that was really, really hard and challenging. And, you know, I'm also now at an age of understanding where I say my parents did the best they could with the tools that they had. Maybe they weren't the best tools. Maybe they didn't say the right things or do the right things. But right now where I am in my life, I just understand that maybe I would do differently. But something that I do admire from my parents is that they really, really consciously have this policy 
that when we get married, they do not tell us any longer what to do. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, thank God. I'm saying like, like my father said, like once you get married, you are old enough to make your own decisions. Like I'm not involved. And obviously, you know, if I ask advice, it's given and he, you know, shares nice things with me, but never ever will tell me that I'm not dressed the way that he approves or I'm not wearing something that he approves or I'm not, like even like, um, or acting or making choices for my family that he approves of never ever 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 it's just acceptance and for me that's super important i think acceptance not telling your kids what to name their children or who which honors to give to what at your bar mitzvah like totally not which But, i think made it easier for you that maybe the hardships you had as a teenager to be able to um like to work it out because at yeah. this point you don't have new quote-unquote traumas or whatever you want to call it yeah with my new parents. troubles with your parents so the old ones like you're able to clean up for a sec for like in a sense yeah and not no new ones are coming up so you're able to we try right mama dad <laughs> yeah so <laughs> behave yourself <laughs> so i think that made it easier to to get rid of the past whatever was bothering you in order to like Because yeah. there's no and, new issues coming And I up. think also, like, your past doesn't define your present. You get to wake up every morning and make choices for your family and for... The only disclaimer I want to say is that people had really traumatic situations. Yeah, or that abuse. We, that it's, yeah. easy, it's easy for us to say to just get over it. I'm not talking, like, about extreme situations. I'm talking about, like, regular, like, scuffles in the house and whatever discussions. But if people really had traumatic situations obviously. happen to them, then, then yeah. uh, we're not talking about that. Yeah, we're, we're obviously, if, if, if someone was abused or really hurt by their parents, that's like a whole different topic of discussion. But I'm saying, you know, like, I think my parents, they did, they made mistakes. We make mistakes all the time. I'm sure nah. my kids will have a podcast in 20 years from now complaining about me and you. But I think um, when I was a teenager, I had to make choices. And it was very hard to make some of those choices because it wasn't um, always uh, an easy environment, just put it like that. But I'm really, really like thankful that I went through those things. I think I understand a lot of this whole topic in a different way because of it. Um, I want to share a story. Story that, time! Yeah, that, that my friend, ooh, Razel, Razel Ruddle, now she's Sasanko. She shared this story at her father's shoshim, her father, Rabbi Ruddle. He was an educator and a teacher. And when she was a teenager, she said this at his shoshim that she wait, was... Wait, wait, is she cousins with the Ruddle from Italy? Were the parents' brothers? Yeah. So then yeah. now that he also passed away. Yes, yes, she it's her uncle. Mm -hmm. So um, she came to her father and she says, I'm not sure I believe in God. I'm not sure I believe like in his existence How or in anything. I don't remember, like, I don't know, 14, 15, teenager. whatever, a teenager. And, you know, his, her father also, he could have, this was a thought-out approach. She was coming to him. It wasn't a rebellious act. And her father looked at her and he said, oh, my gosh, I'm so, so jealous of you. You're so lucky. You're so lucky that you're in a place in your life right now where you really have to decide who you are. And you get to search and contemplate and, and find your way to who you are. And I'm sure you're going to find your way. And I thought that was such a beautiful story because instead of getting angry and saying, what kind of business is this? Of course there's a God. How could you even put that word on your mouth? You know, blah, 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 blah. The chance of her ever finding her way is like just now like over. And now she really had to like realize like, oh no, I have to make this choice. I need to look around. I need to find out who so I am. 
Search and I you actually, will find. I actually have a similar story with my sister. She actually asked my dad once, I think she was also around that age, 14, 15. She's like, how do you even know that there is a God? Like, and she was walking around with that question for a while already. And she was like scared to ask the question. Maybe she thought my dad would get angry. And actually, my dad was really not angry. She said, thank you for asking that because I want, there's a very simple answer that it's good that you have a question because you're not an angel. You weren't created an angel and you're created as a human being. And you're as a human being, you ask questions, and you're supposed to ask questions because you're not a robot, you're not a, a an angel, and ask questions because these are the things. So then they had a conversation about it, and my dad was able to explain to my sister that there's no proof that's not like a clear thing, but it's a belief. It's called a belief because faith, we believe yeah. in his faith, and that's what we believe in Hashem. But I think those those moments are. I, I hope that the parents are awake enough to understand that, that mom- those moments that you're right. aware and that you're so, up at those moments to, to give the right answers. Yeah. And you know what I well, think you don't also? even always have to have the right answers. At least you can say, oh, wow, that's a great question. You know, well, let's go search for the answer. Yeah, or let's ask the rabbi, Rabbi Stanton. I, I love it that our kids ask him questions all the time. It's really nice that they have a connection to their, to their rabbi and they feel like they could come and ask him things. And... Um, which is also something important for kids to ha- to be connected to, to wise people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, so how do we make it that our children should come to us with those thought-out, deep-thinking questions versus acting out in rebellion because they are in pain? Or do they feel that they can't ask those questions? Right, exactly. So like, if our kids come and ask us these questions, like I feel every single time, it's a win. Because it means they're thinking about stuff, and they're like, I want to, you know... Answer. See what I could do. And and I think, you know, a lot of, is in store for us. We don't know what, what the future holds. I want to do my best job. Um, and I decided before, and you did it with me, we each wrote down a few scenarios of things that could happen when our children are teenagers. And I'm going to tell you a scenario, and you'll tell me how you would react. Mm-hmm. And Advice obviously, we hope that we would react this way. And then you'll tell me your scenario. And these are obviously things that... You know, if, if um, you're grow- raising your children in a Jewish from environment, these are things that like um, could maybe be like pressing against the edges and um, something that like would be like could, could be that a parent would be very, very upset about or react in an angry way if their child does it. All right. <laughs> By the way, we have pens and papers here. We really prepared for today's podcast, and we have a lot of nice doodling going on over here. Maybe you should share the, the doodling. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. No. Should we share this one? No. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'll start with the first question for you, Mela. Yes, go ahead. And I want to explain this, that like these are questions that pertain more to a like things that would be going, uh, like pushing the, the, limits. the limits in our community and in our... Um, value system that we're raising our children so um your son comes home and tells you mom and dad i have a girlfriend and i love her and we hang out all the time and we chat all the time and i don't know why i didn't tell you till now but um i want her to come to our house and i want you to meet her your kid is let's say 15 or 16 like you know is she jewish yeah yeah yeah. like we don't have to go that far. I don't like. I also feel like it's really hypothetical because I'm hoping that we'll have like enough connection with our kid that if he's talking to a girl, we'll know about it. But this is the scenario that I wrote. Your son comes home and tells you, "Dad, mom, 
mom and dad, I have a girlfriend, and I want her to come and be part of our family and hang out here. Um, I don't want to be sneaking around anymore, blah, 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 blah. What is your reaction? Uh, I would really find out first how serious it is and, like, um, how long it's been going on. I would have the conversation. Like, I, I, I wouldn't have uh, necessarily a problem with it because if it's done in a respectful way, because that would be much more important for me that they are respectful to each other and in every sense of the way, in body, mind, and spirit. Like, are you respecting each other? Are you respecting each other's bodies? Are you doing it in a, you know, grown-up way? I wouldn't even have so much of a problem with it. But I would also see, like, are the challenges that come with that, do they need help with that? Because obviously if they're 15, 16, is different than when if they're 12, 13, or if they're 18, 20. You know what I'm saying? These are all different stages and different ages. Because if you're 15, 16, you're not going to get married. You know what I'm saying? So if it's something that maybe take a break for a little bit, see if you're still, you know, there's a lot of things. But I would not like freak out and like, oh my God, you have to break up and this is never going to happen. And she's never coming. It's like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, because the way I think about it, it's like if she's Jewish and he's Jewish, I think if the challenge would be bigger, if she wouldn't be Jewish. But if she's Jewish and like it's something that's marriage material, I have no problem with it that you meet each other at a younger age. I think there's advantages and disadvantages to it, but I wouldn't have necessarily a problem with it, like point blank. Like okay. I would think about it. Same okay. to you? Did I say anything um, crazy? No, nothing, nothing extreme. And I think also like when if if it's normalized because what, for whatever reason your child met this person then it turns out of rebellion into something th thoughtful yeah. like you're taking away the the rebellion part yeah which maybe also makes it less fun <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly oh we're gonna ruin it for them okay okay so now thanks Mike. for your answer Ooh, should we ask the question what if she's not jewish or should we not go there today I don't know. I think uh, we can go in it sh shortly. I think that would be a very big challenge. And also, like, how not Jewish? Like, obviously, does she have a Jewish mother? Jew not Jewish mother. Yeah. Jewish father, let's say. Jewish religion. Or is she, let's say, a Muslim? Or is she, like, totally, like... And I think the chance of that happening at this point, at least, is very small. But it could happen. I think at that point, they would have to have... We would have... To have seen that coming from a longer period of time, I don't. Right. I cannot imagine. That it would just be sprung. Yeah. Like, oh, by the way, I just let you know that I have a not Jewish girlfriend. That but would I be think very also surprised. That um, the but way the you react. Also, like I think it has to be really careful how you would react because it could be like a teenage thing, and then like in a few months it'll be over. But if you push hard, it yeah. might hold on stronger. Yeah. No. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not 100% sure right now how, how I would... Right, I don't know if it necessarily that. applies in, in, our, in our family unit, but you never know. It but, could happen. And also, this is something that could maybe happen at a different stage, but yeah. regardless of all, one thing, love your children always throughout yeah. and 100%. keep that love in mind. Yeah. yeah, and obviously if that's that's in the end of the day what they will the, their way they will choose their path they will choose and that's what it is then there will be ch children that maybe didn't follow your path but follow their own path they and still then, deserve, deserve our respect correct and that, then and nothing in this world happens without God's permission so then that's also part of God's way of him running the world and we don't always know his ways great now it's my turn to ask you a question mm -hmm. what if one day your child comes home and says he doesn't want to be religious anymore. 
because now they're brought up in a religious family, they go to a religious school, and they say, you know what, I've thought about it, I've seen the religion, I'm not interested anymore. What would you do? Hmm. Um, I would say, wow, I didn't expect that coming. I think we should talk about it. So let's talk about it later. And then we would sit down together and, you know, have this conversation. And I would, we would ask, I think, this child, like, what are the three points bothering you? Let's go through them. What's, what are you struggling with the most? How could we make it easier for you? And I think, like, let's say your child's struggling with prayer. I hate praying. Every day I have to say all these pages and pages mm-hmm. of prayers. I just don't want it anymore. It doesn't talk to me. It doesn't talk to me. I'm not interested. So we'd say, okay, all right, let's see how we can make prayer a little bit more manageable for you. What do you think, which three prayers do you feel like, okay, those are the ones that I could connect to? Then just say those three. Or, or if you say there's only one, then just say that one. Or maybe mm. getting up in the morning and saying, thank you, God, for giving me another day. If that means prayer for you, then okay. Then then, then say thank you, God. Yeah. I feel like also reacting on the spot is not necessarily the answer. If your kid comes home and tells you that, be like, wow, okay, let's talk about it. Like not reacting right away. Because reacting right away means you don't have faith. You're afraid of your child having a mind of his own. Yeah. And... Um, it also gives him time, like because probably time gave him, him a lot of time, like it was probably very courage to say such a thing because he understands how much, let's say, religion means for all of us in our family. So then, by him coming already, and then if you right away answer, yeah, stupid, don't do that, then maybe make it worse. He goes, you know what? That's a great question. You know, maybe we can sit down one day and maybe we can invite the rabbi. No, I don't want to speak to the rabbi. No, <laughs> invite the rabbi and speak to him, and maybe we can write down a few questions. And also, I would ask him. To what extent do you not right. want Or maybe something anymore? happened that yeah. caused him to really have this Maybe this he has hate. a trauma. No, it's true. I mean, yeah. you know, we're lucky that now our children go to a school where all their teachers give them amazing experiences with Judaism. It did happen once in the past that one of our kids had a teacher who did not give him a good experience with Judaism. That teacher, thankfully, is not a teacher anymore. But, I mean, we, like, you know, whatever. I don't have to go into details, but really did things that took away his whole joy for, for, for learning and for studying. And it was such a shame. It was such a shame. So, okay, it happened for one year and, and never happened again. So we're lucky. But let's say a child goes through so many negative experiences with Jewish um, learning. Yeah, it could put them off. So yeah. definitely have to leave room. But I, I think I think the bottom line again, is always be in touch. Like Obviously be in touch, but talk. Talk about it, yeah. like, because if you give your kids the opportunity to talk, then you have the opp- then they also give, will give you the opportunity to talk about it. So if you're even at a later age, if you would have a problem with your children or your children have a problem with you, and you gave you taught them at younger age that talking is always an option and don't ignore yeah. communicating, then I think that that's a very big um, present you can give to your children, the 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 skill of talking like yeah. talking it out instead of ignoring it I, I, do we have I, time for one more question I think so it's Go. a little bit of a longer podcast we're kind of like Joe Roganing it you know, <laughs> keeping it Three going hours. if people don't want to listen they don't have to yeah, but um, I just wanted to add one more point to this um, thing is uh, I really realized this as we were saying it I said it and I'm like oh my god it's really really true when we react and like let's say in, when I was growing up, my, my one of my parents, let's say, would react also when he said, like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to wear this. Da, 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 da. The reaction would be like, what do you mean? Da, 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 da. Like a, a reaction of fear. 
And this fear, I think, is, is lack of emuna. We, we're afraid that our child has a mind of their own, that he's thinking for himself. And we don't believe that he has the right to think, right? Like, I don't know. We're, we're so afraid that, they have, that, 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 that they're not conforming. They're not doing as we say. Like, this instant fear instead of saying, okay, let's talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Take a stop. By the way, we're going to listen to this every time we have teenage issues in the next few They're going to let us listen to this. <laughs> They're going to tell you, hey, by the way, Pama, listen to this with your great advice, huh? Yeah, podcast number six um, at 41 minutes. Yeah, listen to it. <laughs> okay. What's your next challenge? Next My question. next question. All right. Um, so in the Hasidic world, we are very proud that our men do not shave their beards. And we can go into a whole discussion about beards at a further podcast. Stop picking your beard. <laughs> um, but um, your teenage son comes home and tells you, I want to shave my beard. Yeah, I think it boils down to the same point that we had last, by the last question. Okay. Sorry, I'm now I'm going to get my question. One second. No, no, no. There's more to it. You have to, like, let's say your child wants to shave his beard, right? So what do you do? Same as the last question. You ask him, what do you think? You sit down with him. You discuss it. Why this and that and that. And then if it really comes down to the end of the Let's day, say he does want to shave. What would you do? Nothing. I, I would ask him to shave with a machine and not with a blade because that's uh, halachically a bigger problem. And so I you would, would teach him how to shave according to the Torah, yeah. like according to the law. Yeah. That's what I would probably do. That is a wonderful answer. Did I That's pass? What, yes, you did. That's so I, 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 I think we have another minute. We can do my question. My last question is, is there any taboos when you're talking to your children? Is there anything that you wouldn't talk to your children about? Ooh. <laughs> um, I think we already did. <laughs> so in our household, we are extremely, extremely open about um, talking about everything. everything. But obviously, I mean, there are certain things that I... We'll tell the kids, sorry, that's none of your business. Or we'll tell um, them, not at this stage of your right? life. We'll and give it's you all not the what details. you think. Like, if they ask me, how much money do you make? That's none of your business. Yeah. Um, those are things I don't like to talk about, like money with our kids, meaning like how much or things like that. I think I want them to always stay humble and innocent in that sense. But obviously, we talk about spending and being responsible with money. Try to lead by example. <laughs> right, <laughs> still think, trying, still I think, trying. I think you're doing a better job than me. But um, we, we the have... The B word. Well, the budget word. <laughs> no, we're not allowed to use that word. Um, but I do think, you know, we have always been open with our kids. Um, over Corona, we had more time at home and they started asking questions and we answered all of them. How are babies born? Um things about the female anatomy, um, all that stuff. They know about it. And it was all taught in a very, very um, factual way um, with answering all questions. And I found that it was extremely, extremely helpful because for years since they're little, we always told them, um, you know, no one's ever allowed to touch you inappropriately in your private parts. And, you know, we tried to explain it in all kinds of like, secretive ways like private like kind of ways and then when we explained everything to them because you know one one week we had a situation one of my kids came and said the other kid had a question he had already known 
what it meant, but she didn't, and they want they had and he felt that she needs to ask me and not um, he can't talk to her about it. So I said, "What's the question?" And it was asked, and then I just explained. We spilled the beans. Yeah, no, and it, we turned into this whole discussion and conversation, and then it was it was on a Friday, and then Friday night after the youngest went to bed, and the guests there was no guests, the conversation continued, and there was amazing, amazing questions that the kids were asking, questions that are so so super important, and. I was so, I was like, at a certain point, I was like, I was the one getting all uncomfortable. And I'm like, okay, I need to go upstairs for a minute. I'm uncomfortable. And you were like, okay, I'll take over. But we got through it. And you know what? I was so, so happy that we were just open and honest. And to be honest with you, some people think that if you talk to your kids about sex, sorry, I'm going to say it as it is, that like, there's this like myth that like, then they'll want to go and do it quicker or whatever. And it's actually false. If you speak to them in an honest way and tell them how their bodies work and how it all happens, and they're just like, oh, okay. And then they're like, so that's what you mean when you say someone is a pedophile and they molest kids. They do that to kids. Oh, that's really bad. So it's already a thing in our family that it's... um what was that writer called in his Yeah, so then like a few weeks later, this author, his name is Chaim Walder, who we had many of his books, and he was like a child psychologist, psychologist and he used uh, to help children with problems, and he wrote many, many books, and we used to love his books. We had all these stories with, from kids called Kids Speak. So when that story broke, and we spoke to our kids about what he had done to so many children, and all, he was just a really immoral man on every step of the way, um, they were all like, Oh my God, he did that to kids? That's super bad. They understood right away how bad it was. So they're ready to talk now. They say, oh, he's also Chaim Walder? Yeah, Chaim Waldering, they call yeah. it. <laughs> so, um, but now they know. And then I think the chance of them actually encountering such a terif- uh, horrific, horrific situation, situation is, is, is much less because they already know this is not allowed this is something they know what it's talking about so pedophiles beware our kids are informed (laughs) (laughs) and but they choose they they know exactly who those pedophiles they they they, they're hunters they know who to uh, yeah they know to find naive children who are not in tune not in touch and i could only i could only encourage parents that once your child is a certain age i think from nine years old answer their questions tell them the truth However, you know, if you're not comfortable talking about it, just power In a way through. that you're comfortable. Yeah, obviously. And, 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 and doesn't mean you have to say everything in one day. Because I also find that it doesn't have to be also an official sit-down meeting. It has to, like, let osmosis do its job. It's better to have it, like, in a conversation that it comes up. Like, oh, by the way. And then you're like, okay, this, we can bring this in, yeah. in the conversation. It's like my, one of my kids came home from school and they told me they had learned something. And then we had a whole discussion about it. And while I was cooking dinner, I, like, ended up, like, explaining, like, a whole chunk of the of the of the male anatomy only because like it was just me and him and we were having this conversation and great all right like yeah happened so naturally yeah like one of my kids came home and said you know today we were learning something in um gemara and like no one understood what it meant it was talking about whatever i don't remember um, but um it's like but I, I knew what it was really saying. I really understood. It. But <laughs> I didn't say anything. He didn't, he didn't tell. But I think at a certain point, most kids, if their parents don't tell it to them, they either find it out from other kids or they, you know, do research on their own. And 
I'd rather my kid hear it from me than do research on their own because you all know that if your kid's going to start researching certain words. Well, we did find it out ourselves. Yes, but we didn't have the internet when we were kids. We had maybe the Webster's Dictionary. We didn't have the Google. Or the Kitzer Shulchan Aruch, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that that was like what educated me, so it's not so bad. But if you Google these kind of things, the pictures that come up can expose your kids to a whole array of really, really inappropriate things. So I think it's actually protecting your children to teach them. They won't have to need to be. They don't need to Google it because they already know. Yeah, I mean, we can have a whole other discussion about also talking about to your kids about things that they'll see on the internet sometimes. And I'm very into, you know, teaching our kids how to use the internet, saying like, Okay, if you're if you're on on YouTube, which we try to limit, but sometimes we let them watch some clips or shorts. If you see something inappropriate, what are you going to do? You're going to click it. You're going to exit. You're going to make that choice. And I'm not going to be standing over you, and I'm not going to be watching you. But we're expecting that. We're expecting that you make good choices, and could be that they won't make good choices always. But you're done, Mel. (laughs) Mel's done. Fifty-one minutes. All right, we got it almost to an hour. Yeah, we're good. So maybe just before you say peace out, just mm-hmm. sum up everything that we discussed today. Yeah, the, it will all work out. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I think the the bottom line, we, we, we said everything for today. Just speak to your children. That's the bottom line. Communicate. Communicate. And yeah, wishing you all success in raising your children. Yes. And success to us. L'chaim. L'chaim to life. Cheers on that. L'chaim amayim. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. We hope you enjoyed our couple of thoughts and join us again for our next episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything that we discussed today, you are welcome to email at us, email us at a couple of thoughts 2008 at gmail.com. And we wrote 2008 because that's the year that we got married. So anyways, yes, join us again and peace out. Dale, 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 dale,